five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. I am your host, Sir Dr. J.M. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Please follow me there. Please send me messages. Let me know questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to let me know. Uh, suggestions for the show, anything, topics, whatever you want to do. Um, you can, afford, of course, find this podcast on Apple Podcast Services, as well as Google Podcast Services, as well as Spotify and many other podcast services out there. To be honest with you, I'm not sure what exactly you can find me on because I don't uh, don't have anything except for an iPhone to really check. But that said, I've set myself up on many things, so check me out wherever you can. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Generally speaking, we start with the news, where we look at all of the latest and greatest updates, uh, things going on, uh, changes coming, everything like that, as well as, of course, any news relating to the Overwatch League. We then go into the section of our show where we look at the Owl recap, recapping the week's previous games in the Overwatch League, and, of course, then we look at Owl flying at you, and we take a look at what is upcoming in the Overwatch League. So, without further ado, this is of course our May Melee Tournament results episode, so we will jump right into the news, because most of the news relates to the May Melee Tournament. And actually, before we get into the May Melee Tournament details, a few quick news stories to cover. However, as I mentioned, they do relate to the tournament a little bit. The first story broke uh, shortly after we posted our episode last week, and it is, of course, the news that tokens are back. That is, of course, uh, Overwatch League tokens for spending on the Overwatch store in-game for your fantastic Overwatch League skins and emotes and whatever else they decide to release there. So uh, this was taken actually from the short video that the Overwatch League posted to their Twitter channel. Um, you can go ahead and check that out if you want a, an even more brief summary than what I'll provide here, or maybe a slightly longer summary, I'm not sure. A more produced summary at least. So they announced with a short video on May 20th, um, posted to Twitter featuring Mitch Leslie, of course, Uber Shouts, um, one of the uh, casters that we see casting the Overwatch League quite often, um, basically saying that starting May 22nd, you would be able to earn five leave tokens, League tokens per hour while watching the Overwatch League matches. So, of course, May 22nd being the start of the May Melee Tournament with the... Um, the final match that needed to be played to determine who was playing in the tournament. And then we then had the, what was that round called? The qualify, well, it was the qualification round and then the knockout rounds there occurring um, on the 22nd there. So five league tokens per hour can be earned. However, a few caveats, you must be using the Overwatch League website or the app from your phone. And you must obviously connect your Battle.net account to the website or uh, or the app there. So I know for me personally, I did it on both. 
Um, I actually, I don't normally watch the games on my computer, but I went over to my computer, I started up the games, I connected my account, and I just let that feed play all day long, regardless of if I was watching or not. Because um, generally speaking, I then go watch the games on my TV in another room. Um, but that said, I didn't even, I didn't catch all of the games from the tournament, although I definitely caught most and had a great time. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a nice little thing you can do is throw it on a computer as long as your computer doesn't fall asleep or anything like that. The video will just keep on playing, earning you tokens. And then actually when I went to bed, pulled it up on my phone before uh, before the Asia region game started and just left my phone on the charger and let those games play on silent all night long. So nice to see those back obviously um something we've been waiting for quite a while why they're not available on you know just watching on youtube i'm not quite sure especially because it does seem like as far as i can tell when you use the app or when you use the site it's just the youtube video embedded into the site um now you know if i were were i to use some of my programming knowledge i do work in it and i do have a diploma in software development so i know a little bit about this were i to speculate i would have to say that youtube doesn't really have any f any integrated features to that extent where they can really allow that whereas if you're using the overwatch league site as long as they have your login um so you logged into your battle net they have that information to say okay you are visiting our site you are on this specific page you have clicked the play button on the embedded video therefore we can associate that to your account and link it back to your uh your actual i guess overwatch game type dealio because it's all connected through the battle.net account so i'm guessing it's something like that the you the actual youtube site doesn't really have any features where it allows a developer to say okay we're going to connect this to another service which would be battle.net in this case so they have to do it through their site or through um, through the app. But I digress. Exciting to see tokens back. I know I earned a crap ton this, this past weekend over the May Melee tournament, and it was a lot of fun. So that's all there is for tokens coming back. But moving on to the next story. Uh, next story is actually another kind of amalgamation of stories. Um, my latest segment that I added to the show as of two weeks ago is the coming and going, who's retiring next, who's getting signed. And this week, we have, for the most part, only good news, it looks to me like, um, mostly signings. So, first things first, the Boston Uprising signed a new main tank, Mikey. Um, I actually forgot to look up the full story and grab Mikey's name, but welcome, Mikey. Um, the big thing about this, with Mikey coming in in a main tank role, I think this brings up questions about Fusion's future. And that's not to say, you know, Fusions might be retiring, Fusions might be leaving, leaving the team, Fusions might be getting traded away, but it is to say the last time they did this, um, they signed Punk and they announced they signed Punk right before Brusson left. So it does definitely cause you to raise an eyebrow. Now, obviously, with Boston definitely looking a lot better in the past couple of games they've had since, honestly, since Brusson left and since Punk stepped in, um, could it be a similar story or could Fusions have changed his mind? Certainly. Um, who knows, really? Could be anything. Fusions could be looking to make a move to management or coaching staff, similar to what I believe Manganshu has done on uh, Toronto. But regardless, um, you know, exciting for Mikey, I'm sure. Exciting for Fusions fans, hopefully. Moving on from there, another uh, another sort of 
I want to say a big signing, but not really a big signing unless you're a fan of them, which, as we know, I am. Although, you know, uh, recent events considered, it's hard to say if I am a fan. Anyways, I digress. Um, the Vancouver Titans signed Nicholas Schmidt-Jensen, also known as Shockwave, in a DPS role. And as I'll discuss when we get to the OWL recap, um, so far so good, I'd say. Moving on from there, the Toronto Defiant, uh, and this actually happened just before the tournament as well, signed uh, DPS Thomas Hazono Zeke to a two-week contract. So Zeke did play in the Toronto against Vancouver match on Friday, May 22nd. And as we all know, or as you will find out shortly, the Toronto Defiant did come out on top in that matchup. So all, all indications point, good job to them. Anyways, moving on from there, the final one uh, is actually kind of a rehash from last week. I know last week I talked about washing, the Washington Justice signing Janu and Stitch to those sort of temporary two-week contracts. Oh, I actually forgot to mention Zeke uh, being signed to Toronto was a is a two-week contract. I do wonder if it was mostly just to get them through the tournament. However, if things work out, I'm sure we'll hear that they've signed him to a longer contract, which relates to the Washington Justice, who have signed Jono to a full-term regular contract. Um, no word on Stitch yet, at least not what I could find. However, I did see that they signed Jono to a regular contract. So, Washington, potentially making moves, potentially just filling holes to get to the end of the season because they need to with uh, Corey and Stratus both leaving, although certainly not in the same role as Jonu, but I digress. And that's all the news we have for this week. However, as we all know, the biggest news story of all was the May Melee Tournament. Playtime's over. So, first things first, I'll uh, recap my bracket that I built on last week's episode. Now, was I close? <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, probably not so much. But regardless, I'll uh, I'll cover it here just so we all get a good refresher. So I'll start with the Asia region. Um, I definitely didn't watch as much of the Asia region as I did of the North American region, as is pretty typical of what I watch. That said, um, I did catch a little bit of the first games on each day, as well as I did watch the replay of the final match. And boy, oh boy, am I glad I did, because that was a final match. So, looking at the quarterfinals on Saturday, May 23rd, I had picked the uh, yep the Spark against the Dynasty. Oh, I didn't pick these ones. Ha ha ha. Never mind. These ones were already set. Already set. I picked the winners to pick the semifinals. So, Spark versus Dynasty. I picked the Spark to come out on top. I was wrong. Uh, Excelsior, New York Excelsior versus the Chengdu Hunters. I did pick New York, and I was correct there. And then London Spitfire against Shanghai Dragons. I picked the Shanghai Dragons, and I was correct there. Moving into the semifinals, uh, we then would have seen the Gangzhou Charge, who got a bye into the semifinals, playing the Spark. Now, as we all know, I was wrong about that, so it wound up being the Gangzhou Charge playing the Seoul Dynasty, and Gangzhou got taken out by Seoul, and I was so I was wrong there just by picking the wrong team altogether. And then New York against Shanghai, I was obviously correct uh, in that one, so my final was obviously off as well, but uh, the final did not disappoint, that's for sure. Looking at the North American bracket, um, I did pick Toronto to win over Vancouver in the qualification round on 
uh, May 22nd there, and I was correct there. Moving on to the knockouts, the first knockout was I had picked the Paris Eternal. I said they would pick the Boston Uprising. I was correct there. I then said the Atlanta Reign would be playing the Washington Justice, which I was incorrect. The Atlanta Reign wound up playing Toronto Defiant. After that, I said the Los Angeles Gladiators would play the Houston Outlaws, and the Los Angeles Gladiators wound up playing the Washington Justice. And finally, I said the Dallas Fuel would go on to play the Toronto Defiant, and they did not. It wound up being a Battle of Texas with Dallas playing Houston. So that's what that looked like. I was largely wrong with the exception of Paris versus Boston. However, picking who advanced, I believe I was mostly right. Now, I'm not really going to truly get into the rest of this bracket just because it is quite a bit larger than the Asia region, and I would rather just go through the games and talk about them a little bit. So, let's take it back, and for argument's sake, I'm just not quite going to touch on the Asia region until uh, the end of the show, just to save us some time to go through the North American region. So first things first, we're going to start with the qualification match, even though this match was a just a qualifier for the tournament with one team being cut entirely from the tournament at that point. However, I have not been seeing a lot of coverage of this match, which is a bit of a shame, but I do think there is a little bit to talk about. And, you know, it's probably just because I'm coming from a Vancouver fan standpoint, but regardless, I want to cover it a little bit. So let's take a look at that match. So if we jump right into it, we will see the Toronto Defiant do come out on top, taking it with a score of 3-2. to two. But that is already more interesting than the previous uh, two weeks of games for the Vancouver Titans. As we know, uh, since the Vancouver Titans restructure, rebuild, whatever you want to call it, they had struggled to take any maps at all. I think in their first game against the Washington Justice, that might not be right, but I think it was against the Washington Justice, they did manage to take a map, get a map win, and it wound up being 3-1 to one in favor of Washington. Once they sort of figured out how to play against Vancouver, it was quite easy for them. I, you know, I would honestly chalk it a little bit up to, uh, up to you know, Washington just not quite being on their toes in that match. However, the fact that Vancouver was able to take two maps off Toronto in this game definitely bodes a bodes well for the Vancouver Titans and in my opinion bodes a little more poorly for the Toronto Defiant now I'm not a professional here but I think that this shows more about the Toronto Defiant than it does about the Vancouver Titans just based on the fact that uh, in the past not even some of the other worst teams could lost a map, sorry, to the Vancouver Titans. So I know they played Boston in the week prior, they played the Houston Outlaws, and they got 3 and 0 by both teams. So really, um, you know, I'm I'm a little on edge for Toronto. However, you know, we were missing a few notable uh players, uh my favorite sure for obviously being one, but uh I digress. Let's get into the match. So Round or map one was Lijiang Tower and it went in favor of Toronto 2 and 0. Oh, so, already off to not a great start for Vancouver. Um, you know, it definitely hurts to go down that first map. And in a lot of ways, I think it can mess with your psychological game more than anything. So, hey, you know, what else is new for Vancouver? Oh, well. 
Moving on from there, we went to Hollywood, where Vancouver actually took it 3-2 against Toronto, managing to stop Toronto from capping that final point, um, and really honestly uh, showing some showing some good looks there. And to, to go back to the news story that I was talking about, or the signing uh, that I was talking about with Vancouver, they recently brought in Shockwave. And now... Shockwave, I uh, listening to the casters and listening to a few podcasts and things, I haven't been able to find out much on him. It seems like he's mostly an unknown for a lot of uh, a lot of people. You know, he's been playing in contenders for a little while, but I don't think he was anything too exciting. However, honestly, this looks to have been paying off. And granted, I mean, they were playing against the Toronto Defiance, so not necessarily the strongest of teams. However, um, in these map wins that uh, Vancouver managed to get they definitely were relying on shockwave in a lot of ways he was playing the echo and he was doing a pretty great job of getting into the back line and really just harassing kareev and cruz on uh on the toronto side as well as he had some good pickoffs against uh logic and zeke um obviously the uh or logics sorry and zeke the the dps counterparts on the toronto side so Anyways, um, Vancouver takes Hollywood 3-2. to two. They, Vancouver also takes Temple of Anubis 2-1. to one. So again, you know, uh, another map where, where they were really sort of relying on Shockwave's echo play a lot. And he, he looked good. Um, you know, he certainly didn't look bad. But that said, again, you know, I think after that, after those two maps, after the um, hybrid and the, the 2CP, um, I think Toronto kind of figured it out at that point and said, okay, we just need to shut this guy down. And from there, I think we'll be good to go. So after that, we went to Rialto, which went in favor of the Toronto Defiant, 2-1. to one, And finally, Nepal, which went in favor of Toronto, 2-1. to one. But again, you know, where Vancouver struggled on Lijiang Tower to even get a point, um, it was 2-0 and o in that first round, they did get a map on Nepal. And it honestly, it did look like it might go the way of Vancouver. So Toronto, obviously, I think, uh, you know, who knows if it was coaching staff or if it was just the players sort of banding together and saying, come on, guys, we need to focus. We There's no reason for us to lose this match, really. We should win this match. But whatever it was, it uh, it managed to get Toronto's head in the game and they did come out with the win, allowing them to then go on to the knockout round. After that, we saw uh, sort of we cut to the production team, the uh, the desk with uh, Zoe Custa and um, Rhineforce, and they actually brought on a representative of each team to announce who they were picking to play in the in the next round. So it was actually, honestly, overall this weekend, I think a really good production. Um, it was really exciting to see that, and I thought it actually did create some. You know, although a little weird because everyone's, you know, video chatting and everything, it created a little bit of tension and sort of set up those storylines that, you know, uh, I think we've been lacking this season with the overall, um, you know, with abolishing the stage finals, the individual stages and everything. And I think this tournament really kind of brought things back together. And I think, honestly, I think it was really well received. Everything I'm hearing, everything I'm reading says that people were a big fan of how this weekend went. So anyways, moving on from there, the Paris Eternal then um, would have announced that they were picking the Boston Uprising to play. Um, I can't quite remember the order of who picked after that. However, the next game, also on Friday, May 22nd, was the Houston Outlaws against the Dallas Fuel. Now, most of these Friday games, I wasn't quite able to catch or at least 
wasn't able to pay as much attention to as I would have liked be the simple fact that it was a Friday, so I was technically working. As I mentioned, I did pull them up on my computer, so I kind of had them playing in the background, but I did miss a lot of this Dallas Fuel versus Houston Outlaws game. However, let me break it down for you. Dallas wound up coming out on top with a record of 3-1. to one. Map 1 was Nepal, and it went to Dallas, 2-1. to one. Map 2 was Blizzard World, and it went to Houston, 4-3. to three. Map 3 was Hanamura, and it went to the Dallas Fuel, 4-3. to three. And Map 4 was Rialto, and it also went to Dallas, 4-3. to three. So, what did we see here? Um, looking at the two lineups, I definitely think that we saw Decay popping off in a lot of ways. And a part of why I know that is because the Dallas Fuel actually went on to then play San Francisco in the next round. And I know there was a lot of talk about will Decay's Widowmaker be able to hold up against Anne's? Will we see the 1v1 of the, you know, Widow v. Widow or Ash v. Ash kind of thing? And we definitely did. And as you will find out, I mean, San Francisco comes out on top of that matchup. So anyways, I digress. Um, I didn't watch this match too much, but let's just take a little bit of a look. So we've got Lynxer and Dante for Houston on the DPS. We've got Doha and Decay for DPS on the side of Dallas. So as I mentioned, I know the, the sort of main storyline here was Decay popping off on the Widowmaker, um, pulling off headshot after headshot, um, and definitely looking quite good there. Other than that, um, just reading some things, hearing some chatter about the game. I know people were saying Note and Gamzu both looked good. Uh, Note playing a lot of the Sigma, Gamzu playing a lot of the uh, Orisa, doing sort of this double shield comp a lot of the time. Um, so anyways, I digress. That's what that matchup looked like. And by all means, Dallas fans must have been pleased with that win, uh, winning the Battle of Texas, of course. Moving on from there, we had the Washington Justice taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators. This one, a little more one-sided than the previous matchup. It went the way of Los Angeles Gladiators 3-2-0. So Los Angeles sort of booming Washington right out of there. 2-0 uh, on Oasis, 3-2 on Hollywood, and 2-1 on Volskaya. Not a ton to write home about there. Um, in all honesty, I mean, as we all know, the Washington Justice really struggling as of late, um, obviously missing uh, their former teammates in Corey and Stratus. However, recently, and more importantly, partially just for this tournament, bringing on Janu on a tank roll and Stitch on a DPS roll, um, a little bit too bad that we didn't see a little more uh, sort of pressure from those two coming into the lineup, I guess. However, this roster, you know, not looking incredibly bad um, and also looking a little bit like they're going with the full Korean rebuild. It'll be interesting to see now that Janu is signed to more of a permanent contract and also, you know, potentially uh, with some of the COVID restrictions and things being lifted, he might be playing, I believe Stitch and Janu were both playing remotely from the Asia regions, um, likely in Korea, because I know that's where they were after the whole Vancouver thing fell through. Um, so they may have been playing on Haiping, who really knows what it was. But uh, regardless, it'll be interesting to see how they perform with the team a little more once they have a little more time to sort of get into a groove with that team. On the other side of things, we obviously had... Uh, Mirror and Birdring on the DPS side for the Los Angeles Gladiators. OG in space on the tank roll. Big Goose and Shaz on the support lineup. And overall, I think, uh, you know, uh, 
a, a decent performance from the Los Angeles Gladiators, but really, you know, if they had lost one map in this matchup, I wouldn't have been too shocked. Um, if they hadn't come out on top of this matchup, I would have been surprised, but not incredibly shocked. In my mind, the Los Angeles Gladiators just not performing uh, where they should be lately. And I definitely think that we see a little bit more of that in the next matchup as well for them, but we'll get to that shortly. Moving on from there, we then had the Toronto Defiant playing off against the Atlanta Reign, and again, another blowout, um, this time going in the favor of Atlanta, 3-0. So Atlanta took the first map, which was Busan, 2-0. Uh, Atlanta took Kings Row, 5-4, and Temple of Anubis, 3-2. So definitely not, you know, not an easy day for Toronto. I mean, they got that much-needed and, and I'm sure much morale-boosting win against the Vancouver Titans to start the day. However, then they had to play a second matchup that very same day. So certainly not uh, an easy schedule for them. You know, not typical that we see these teams playing two games in one day. Looking at the exact lineups, uh, Toronto went with a very similar, in fact, uh, possibly the exact same um, lineup as they had against Vancouver. Logix and Zeke on the DPS, Beast and Nevix on the tank, and Cruz and Kareev on the support. Um, over on the side of Atlanta, we saw Edison and Baby Bay starting things off on the DPS side. Gator and Hawk on the tank, Dogman and Kodak on the support lineup. Um, honestly, in my opinion, and again, I didn't watch this game too, too closely, um, but I did catch a little bit of it. Um, Atlanta looking not the best. Obviously, they managed to 3-0 Toronto, but at the same time, I think Atlanta a lot of the time comes across sort of, at least to me, and maybe it's just because I'm familiar with some of the players, they come across a little bit more as that kind of uh, bro-y team. You know, they... Let me put it this way. I once played Rec Gym Soccer, and we once played against this team that was just entirely made up of these really buff jock douchebag guys that weren't necessarily good at the game but they could just kind of muscle their way through us and and push us to the side if you will and i feel that's i feel similarly about the atlanta rain i don't necessarily think that they're not skilled I just think that they kind of just muscle their way through and sort of figure it out. I don't necessarily think they're a top-performing team. Um, and, you know, in all honesty, I mean, I think the standings kind of reflect that right now. Do I think they're a top-five team? Certainly not. Do I think they're a top-ten team? Maybe. I think they probably end up somewhere in that 8 to 12 range and I mean right now they're in that 8th position but re regardless I do think some of the other teams will will push them out of that 8th spot um, in the future. Moving on from there we had the final matchup of Friday May 22nd which was the Paris Eternal against the Boston Uprising. Now this match probably takes uh, match of the day and actually kind of a fitting end to the day being that we started with the Vancouver Titans facing off against the Toronto Defiant you know in a lot of ways <clears throat> bottom against bottom however we then saw Vancouver take two maps against Toronto which was surprising to most I believe and in this final match the score wound up being three to two in favor of Paris however again 
a struggling Boston, although, you know, they've been doing better lately, but regardless, a struggling Boston taking two maps off the Paris Eternal definitely was nothing to scoff at. Um, the Paris Eternal currently sitting in sixth position overall with a record of seven and five, but honestly, I... I don't feel like Paris is similar to Atlanta in the way I described Atlanta, but I don't think Paris is the team or is the top five team that a lot of people are touting them to be. I think they will be, yeah, okay, we'll call them top 10. Um, so, you know, they're sitting in sixth right now, so maybe that's exactly where they should be. But regardless, I digress. They took this match three to two, but let's take a closer look. Li Zhang Tower goes the way of Paris, taking it two to one, but again, already off to probably a more impressive start than most people would have given Boston. Um, the fact that Boston managed to take one away from Paris there on control, um, a pretty big deal if you ask me. Moving on from there, we went to King's Row where Paris took it 3-2. to two. Then we went to Hanamura where Boston managed to shut down Paris on the attack, taking it 2-1. to one. We then went to Watchpoint Gibraltar, where again, Boston managed to shut Paris, Paris down, only allowing them the one point. Boston takes it two to one. But then finally, we came back to control, and Paris actually looked quite dominant there on Oasis, taking it two and O. Oh. So let's take a quick look at the lineups here. Over on the Boston side, I mean, they don't have a lot of players right now, so pretty typical lineup with Jerry and Color Hex on DPS, Fusions and Punk in the tank, and Halo and Myungbong on the support lineup but again punk continuing to look like maybe he's the key part in turning this team around who knows really but uh but overall um you know a impressive performance by boston that said again i you know would like to point out fusions who we talked about earlier in the episode because um bringing in that new main tank um potentially looking to maybe just give fusions a break maybe just have a little more versatility on the main tank roll but at the same time um does raise some question marks bringing in mikey um so who knows what we'll see in the coming weeks over on the paris side we saw soon and nico on dps we saw ben best and hanbin on tank we saw fielder and support fielder and fd god sorry on support um, and I mean, obviously, uh, I'm not looking at the other rounds. I'm pretty much just picking the first round. So if there are lineup changes throughout the game, um, I'll try and mention them if I feel like they are important. Um, but that said, uh, I might miss some of them. Regardless, uh, we had Soon and Nico on the DPS side, and I think they're largely in a lot of ways what's, uh, what's helping this team perform as well as they have been when they perform well. Um, Nico in particular on the DPS is just killing it lately and really popping off. Um, looking over at their tank line, they have been actually changing things up a bit throughout the matches. So we've got Benbest and Hanbin on, uh, on tank to start things off. And once we get to Watchpoint Gibraltar, they actually switched over to No Smite and Hanbin, as well as moving on to Oasis with, uh, keeping No Smite and Hanbin. So interesting stuff there subbing out ben best and bringing in hanbin they also from the looks of it let me just check here oh, okay fd god and uh fielder shifting around but overall just you know sticking with that support lineup so moving around a little bit on the tank roll and i think that obviously uh paid off for them when it comes to uh when it came to that final oasis map so regardless i mean they won both uh both control maps but i digress paris takes it three to two 
probably means more for Boston than it did for Paris. Um, Paris was obviously the expected winner in that matchup, but regardless, an exciting matchup and exciting to see Boston maybe turning things around or, or starting to turn a corner at least. Um, I think it'll be exciting to see what happens after they get a couple more weeks, obviously, to play with um, with Punk in the off-tank role and even see how Mikey fits into things. You know, maybe all the speculation about fusions is just that and it's just speculation and it doesn't really mean anything other than they wanted to have a couple main tanks, but we'll find out. Moving on from there, we then go to Saturday, May 23rd, where we got to see the... Nope, not the knockout round. That's what we just watched. The quarterfinal round. So the quarterfinals saw, let's just see here, the Dallas Fuel and the San Francisco Shock play, the Atlanta Rain and the Florida Mayhem play, the Los Angeles Gladiators and the Philadelphia Fusion play, and the Paris Eternal and the Los Angeles Valiant play. So... First game of Saturday was the Dallas Fuel facing off against the San Francisco Shock. Now, was there anything surprising here? I would honestly say not really. Um, I didn't catch this whole game. I was out for some of the morning, early afternoon there. Um, but San Francisco takes it 3-1. to one, And from what I saw, I mean, San Francisco just continuing to dominate, really. Looking at the actual breakdown, um, I did miss that first map. I don't remember if I came in during the second or third, but regardless, I missed the first map, which was Dallas's only map win. It was Nepal, and it went 2-0 to Dallas. And again, we see that that uh, pattern that I've mentioned in a few episodes of Dallas, or not Dallas, sorry, of San Francisco struggling on the control map. I really don't know what it is this season with them on control. Um, I mean, hey, we'll find out in the in the final matchup here. Spoilers, spoiler alert, San Francisco makes it to the final. Um, and we'll see them perform well on a couple control maps there. But I digress. Again, seeing San Francisco struggle on control, maybe it's a super thing because I know he typically plays Reinhardt in the control maps, but I digress. Let's move on. Map 2 was King's Row, and it went to San Francisco 4-3. to three. Map 3 was Hanamura, and it went to San Francisco 2-1. to one. And the final map was Rialto, and it went to San Francisco 1-0. and um, So I know I saw that final map, and I know San Francisco largely just shut down Dallas. Um, there was not a ton to speak of in that matchup. Obviously, the score indicates 1-0. and So looking at the teams there, um, we started on Nepal. On the Dallas side, Doha, Decay, Gamzu, Note, Crimzo, and Closer. I don't know if they changed their roster too much throughout at all. In fact, I don't think they did. Moving on from there, um, over on the side of San Francisco, they do actually change things up a little bit. Um, as we know, they do like to sub out Super on the tank roll there, um, bringing in Smurf a lot of the time, um, and, you know, different strengths there. Um, as well as they do occasionally like to swap out their DPS roles with Ons and Roskill, um, taking the brunt of things, and I think in this matchup, Ons and Ras Rascal played the whole thing. I don't know why I called him Rascal. Rascal. Anyways, um, but uh, but yeah, so mostly just changes to the, the tank lineup there. That said, um, like I mentioned earlier, everyone was excited to see Ons versus Decay on the, uh, the Widowmaker and the Ash 1v1s there, and from what I saw, um, I definitely didn't think there was... Uh, I didn't think it was too exciting. 
Um, I didn't think it was too much of a crazy matchup. Decay definitely didn't pop off like he did against the Houston Outlaws, though. Um, but I don't think that's any anything bad against him. I think that more speaks to uh, the difference in skill set of the Houston Outlaws versus the San Francisco Shock. So, anyways, uh, moving on from there. Um, obviously, like I said, San Francisco making it look like a pretty decisive win, even though they lost that first map, um, and San Francisco moving on in the tournament. Next matchup on Saturday, May 23rd, was the Florida Mayhem against the Atlanta Rain. So this was the first time we got to see Florida play in this tournament. Obviously, Florida um, looking really strong going into the tournament, but at the same time, um, there's been a lot of uh, sort of scuttlebutt around the internet about Florida. And although, as we know, I've talked about liking Florida from the start of the season and being excited to see what they did with their rebuild. And, you know, even still being a little disappointed with some of their losses and things like that, kind of being kind of being a bit of a Florida fan. If anything, this tournament has really made me into a Florida fan. And, if, and let me get back to the point. Um, I was going to say there's been a lot of scuttlebutt around the internet about is Florida really as high-seeded and as impressive as they seem to be, especially after this tournament, as we'll find out. Now, I think the biggest thing about Florida right now is, yes, they've proven themselves against some of these top teams. You know, they beat Paris um, a few weeks back, and that's really what started them on this roll, this win streak that they have been on. Um, but after that, they had some easier matchups, right? And so I think that's kind of why there was a lot of talk about, well, is Florida really as good as they seem? They've had some easy matchups, you know, yeah, they beat Paris once, but what can they really do? What's what's really impressive about them? Um, and I think this tournament kind of proved that, you know, they can hang with the big dogs. Um, obviously, as I'm about to go into, they beat the Atlanta Reign here 3-1, to one, and they do get, you know, at least one more big, huge win in this tournament. But at the same time, I think they're a bit of an unproven quantity. Um, where we see, we can look at the San Francisco Shock, we can look at the Philadelphia Fusion, we can look at the Shanghai Dragons, and we can see from the start of the season, they've been consistently very good. Now, San Francisco, yeah, obviously they struggled a little bit, and, you know, Fusion has lost a match or two here and there, and Shanghai has lost a couple matches. Um, but that said, they've been consistently good against almost every team. Florida has been consistently good against a lot of the bottom teams, and has only played some of the higher teams a few times. So I think, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a Florida fan at this point, and I want to see them do well, and I think they're going to continue to do well, but the big thing will be, once they've proven that not only can they beat these top teams, but they can continue to beat them. Um, if they can, spoilers for the upcoming, probably one of the most shocking matches of this tournament, um, if they can beat Philadelphia a second time around, if they can come out on top the next time they face off against the San Francisco Shock, I think that's when we'll really see people singing their praises. So anyways, let's look at that matchup of the Atlanta Reign against the Florida Mayhem. Florida coming out 3-1 to one on top. Map 1 was Busan, and it went the way of Florida, 2-1. to one. Map 2 was Hollywood, and it went 3-2 to two for Florida. Map 3 was Temple of Anubis, Anubis, and it went to Atlanta, 4-3. to three. And Map 4 was Junkertown, going to Florida, 1-0. and oh. 
So, you know, let me just highlight that 1-0 on Junkertown because Florida very clearly managed to shut down Atlanta at that point. And maybe it was the fact that they were already up 2-1 to and they only needed the one match. Maybe Atlanta had checked out in a lot of ways. However, I don't necessarily think that's the case because they won the map before that. They won Temple of Anubis. I think they were probably hoping for a reverse sweep at that point. However, Florida shutting down Atlanta, not even letting them get that one point, and making it so that Florida only had to get one point, and therefore Florida takes it 1-0. So let's take a look at the rosters. Over on the Atlanta side, we had Edison, we had Baby Bay on DPS, we had Gator and Hawk on tank, we had Kodak and Dogman returning on the support lineup. Um, let's switch over real quick here. I'm actually just going to do this. Um, Baby Bay, Edison, Hawk, Gator, Kodak. I'm actually trying to just check the, the rosters on each map just to make sure I don't leave anybody out. And it looks like Atlanta played with that lineup for the whole match. Moving on from there, um, let's look at the Florida Mayhem. We had BQB on the DPS with Yaki on the DPS. We had Gargoyle and Fate on tank. We had Gangnam Jin and Chris on the support lineup. And let's just see, Yaki BQB looks to be, yep, they managed to maintain that the whole way through. And the big thing here, big takeaways, which is going to be a trend that you'll see um, as we move on in the tournament, BQB and Yaki really controlling the play, really looking strong on the DPS line there. Managing to, I think, impress a lot of people, especially with Yaki being a bit of an unknown quantity coming into this season. Um, you know, he was a bit of a rookie um, coming in from the Contenders League. So definitely really exciting to see him performing. And in particular, to see him performing on the Tracer. It was a bit of an interesting matchup because the Atlanta Reign ran a double comp pretty much the whole way through, um, and so did Florida. However, Florida played a lot more um, with the DPS uh, lineup, mostly having BQB on Ash, meanwhile Yaki playing on Tracer, and then Atlanta having Edison on uh, Echo and Baby Bay on Ash a lot of the time. Um, I'm not even sure if they really switched off of that at all. I think that's, I think they mostly remain static for the most part. Um, and well, and to that extent, Florida did as well, but Florida bringing Tracer into the loop and allowing Yaki to really flex on Tracer, I think was, was really exciting to see. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm personally, am a, a big fan of, of, uh, seeing Tracer play, um, especially at such a high level. Oh, and you know what? Atlanta actually did have Baby Bay move on to McCree at times and things like that. So. Um, you know, changing the hit scan up a little bit there. But as I was saying, Yaki's Tracer play. Holy cow. Really exciting and really good stuff there. Um, and as well, playing with Fate on the Orisa a lot of the time. Um, Orisa using that halt ability and then bringing in Yaki's Pulse Bomb um, or bringing in BQB's uh, um, on the Ash, bringing in the Dynamite. Um, you know, looking really good there and really exciting. Um, so anyways... That was a really good match, um, lots of fun, and obviously great fun seeing Florida come out on top there. The next matchup of the day, our second last one, was the Los Angeles Gladiators against the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, as I mentioned before, um, 
I continue to not be impressed with the Los Angeles Gladiators. And this is, you know, at the beginning of the season, I think I would have said I was actually a bit of a fan of both of the Los Angeles teams and more of a fan of the Los Angeles Gladiators than I was the Los Angeles Valiant. However, I think the tides have turned and I'm probably more interested in the Los Angeles Valiant right now. Um, you know, Los Angeles Gladiators, like I say, just kind of continuing to disappoint me. Looking at the maps, map 1 was Lijiang Tower and it went to Philadelphia 2 and 0. Oh. Map 2 was Blizzard World and it actually went to Los Angeles Gladiators 4 to 3. Map 3 was Hanamura and it went 2 to 1 for Philly and map 4 was Junkertown going 3 and 0 oh to Philadelphia. So, looking at the lineups here, um Los Angeles Gladiators running the same lineup that they ran in their previous matches. Um no changes there really. Meanwhile, Philadelphia running Ivy and Hisu to start on DPS, Sado and Poco, Sado and Poco on the tank line, and Alarm and Funny Astro on the support. And then uh, moving over to um, to the second map there, um, Philadelphia actually swapping out Ivy and Hisu for Carpe and EQO, and swapping out Poco for Fury, as well as keeping their support lineup the same. So that was Blizzard World. If we then go to Hanamura, they actually take Fury back out, bring Poco back in. They then take uh, Ivy or EQO out and bring Ivy in. And is that all they did? That's all they did. And then Junkertown, um, they played that same final comp. So a little bit interesting here um, and does beg the question, um, what's with the Carpe switch, honestly? Um, and I mean, to a lesser extent, the EQO switch. However, I think Carpe is sort of the big question mark here, as you'll as you'll see in Philadelphia's next game as well. Um, so I won't touch on that too much here. That said, um, you know, Fusion looking strong, definitely coming out on top as expected in a lot of ways. Um, but I digress. Moving on to the next match. We had the final match of Saturday was the Paris Eternal against the Los Angeles Valiant. And this one, I think, a uh, little bit more surprising. However, as I mentioned, I personally, uh, just like Atlanta, I don't think Paris is, you know, going to wind up as high as they might appear to be right now. Los Angeles Valiant taking this matchup 3-2. to two. If we look at the maps, map 1 was Busan and it went 2-0 to the Los Angeles Valiant. Map 2, King's Row, 3-2 for Paris. Map 3 was actually a draw on Hanamura. Map 4 went was Gibraltar, and it went 2-1 for the Valiant. Map, was that 5? 3, 4, 5. Uh, Lijiang Tower went 2-1 to Paris. And Map 6, 2-0 for the Los Angeles Valiant. So Los Angeles looking strong on the control points there, taking both of them 2-0, and, and control being becoming sort of an increasingly more and more important these days, um, just with the uh, the way the uh, first to three works, and in this case, uh, in the final rounds, um, first to four. So, regardless, let's look at the lineups there. Uh, Paris looking largely the same as what we saw previously, um, and again, you know, nothing against their players they do actually have a fair amount of strength amongst a lot of their players you know nico on the dps line looking consistently really good and especially for someone who a lot of people had written off and thought wouldn't be uh wouldn't really be coming back to uh to overwatch or would be out of overwatch soon um 
and then the Los Angeles Valiant as well. Um, you know, they ran pretty much the same roster the whole time. KSP and Shax on the DPS, McGravy and Dreamer on the tank line, Lastro and Rain on the support line. And overall, you know, I mean, I, although I don't think it's any secret at this point, KSP just continues to pop off. Um, really looking impressive and really enjoying some of his play. Um, and, you know, as well as Shax. Um, the two of them sort of playing off each other really well. And honestly, I continue as well to be impressed with McGravy. Um, McGravy playing some Sigma, but more often than not, I enjoy seeing uh, McGravy play the D.Va. Um, I'm not sure what it is about his D.Va play, but I definitely enjoy it. So anyways, Los Angeles Valiant coming out on top and moving on in the tournament from there. So... We then went on to the Sunday uh, semifinals and final matchups. So our first semifinal of the day was the San Francisco Shock against the Los Angeles Valiant. Now, this matchup, um, I mean, as I just mentioned, you know, San Francisco continuing to look strong, and the Los Angeles Valiant, although they won their previous rounds in the in the tournament there, um, I don't know that many people would have picked the Valiant to win this. They have, you know, played the San Francisco Shock a fair amount this season, and they've already lost a fair amount to the San Francisco Shock. So I'm sure they were looking forward to it and hoping for a really good competitive match. And although it was a good competitive match, um, San Francisco just continuing to look super dominant and super clean. Um, and I, I should mention, you know, I know I talked a little or a couple weeks ago about them signing Twilight, and he's not in the lineup yet. So they're continuing to play with their, you know... Uh, I want to say traditional lineup, but they're they're tried tried and tested, tried and true, something, whatever. They're their usual lineup kind of thing, um, with a few subs that I'll mention here in a sec. So map one was Nepal, and it went two and zero to San Francisco. Map two is Kings Row, three to one for San Fran, and map three was Hanamura, two and one or two to one for San Francisco. So looking at the lineups again, um, you know, looking very similar to what we had already seen um, this time around with, uh, again, Super and Troyobin playing the tank line for uh, San Francisco. Meanwhile, after the control point, switching over to Troyobin and Smurf on the tank line. Um, and then, uh, actually, they brought uh, Super back in on Hanamura there for, for the tank line. So interesting stuff there, even though I think Super typically plays the control point and seemingly that's it. But who knows what, uh, what they're doing there. Honestly, San Francisco just continues to impress really um san francisco using the uh torb run uh torb lineup there a little bit these days even which seems odd with no uh with no hero pools at play in this tournament it did seem a little odd to see torb coming up again however as we'll see in the in the final there um which i i know i already spoiled that san francisco makes it to the final but as we'll see there um definitely san francisco knows what they're doing there's no denying at this point that they are the, you know, former champs and they are uh, not hiding that. Um, they look strong pretty much on all fronts. So so they win that matchup 3-0. Moving on from there, we saw probably, I would probably say the biggest upset of the tournament in this next matchup. So the next matchup of the day was the Philadelphia Fusion against the Florida Mayhem. And here it comes, the Florida Mayhem come out on top 3-1. So as I mentioned before, Florida continuing to dominate, 
continuing to look impressive and continuing to surprise people. And in large part, I think that was thanks to Yaki on the tracer. Um, I'm not sure why uh, the Philadelphia Fusion struggled to adapt so much. It seemed a little bit like they were a little stuck in their ways, and who knows whose call that was. It may have been a coaching call. Um, it may have been just... Yeah, I, I Honestly, I couldn't tell you. But Yaki and BQB playing off each other super well on the Florida side, and especially Yaki showing off his tracer again, you know, really flexing that role, um, really making it look good. Even when Philadelphia switched over to um, to Tracer, you know, when they were playing Busan, they had Carpe run Tracer and Ivy running May. And even still, um, you know, Tracer v. Tracer, just Yaki continuing to, to look, look dominant on the Tracer side of things. Um, so, looking at the maps, Busan went to Florida 2-1. Two to one. Blizzard World went to Philadelphia 3-2. to two. Hanamura went to Florida 1-0. and oh. And Gibraltar... Gibraltar goes to Florida 3-2. to two. So overall, like I say, just really impressive showing from Florida. And in a lot of ways, a little bit of a disappointing showing from the Philadelphia Fusion. Um, like I say, I don't think many people would have picked Florida. I mean, I myself... In my bracket, I matched up Philly and Florida here, and I said Philly was going to take it, you know, mostly based on the standings, but also based on the fact that Philadelphia has looked so strong in so much of this season so far. The you In a lot of ways, although Florida was on a hot streak, again, um, they haven't proven themselves against these toughest teams just yet. This is a big step in the right direction, though. So, really exciting match really exciting to see that and then of course that means that shortly thereafter we got to see our final matchup of the san francisco shock the former grand champions against the up-and-comers the florida mayhem now spoilers um san francisco winds up taking it with a record of four to two so it didn't go seven but at the same time it didn't go 3-0. and oh. oh, I guess it would have been 4-0. Oh. It wasn't a 4-0. and oh. It wasn't a 4-1. Um, you know, I think Florida, those two maps that they took, Florida looking quite good. So I'll give you the breakdown here, and then we'll look into it a little bit more. Map 1 was Nepal, and San Francisco takes it 2-0. and oh. So obviously already you can see San Francisco breaking that pattern a little bit of the um, control points. And I mean, I know they just played LA, and obviously they didn't struggle there, but... Um, on Nepal, taking it 2-0, so good start for San Francisco. Uh, Blizzard World, though, Florida looking really strong, and Florida starting on the defense, if I'm not mistaken, and Florida managing to full hold San Francisco. So that was a big deal in particular, because San Francisco just could not break through, really, the defenses of the Florida Mayhem, um, giving them, honestly, an easy route to a map win. Um, although it could have easily been a full hold, full hold, but obviously Florida Mayhem managing to crack through and cap that first point. So good stuff there. Moving on from there, we saw Volskaya Industries where San Francisco took it 2-0. and um, I continue to just hate Volskaya because I think it's a shitty map and I just hate it. Um, it's not a shitty map. I just, I suck at it. So I hate it. Junkertown was quite the matchup with Florida taking it 5-4. to four. And Junkertown, let me tell you, was a battle of the snipers with Ons against, I believe, uh, BQB. Was BQB on the Widowmaker there? 
let's jump ahead a little bit here uh bqb on the Widowmaker. so it was widow v widow with bqb and ons and honestly both of them just looking super clean looking super strong um ons made a few really good uh sort of i don't want to call them predictive shots because you know he's not going to just take it but uh ons knowing the maps having some really good map awareness um, and picking off the the heads of uh, the Florida Mayhem really good a few times there. But at the same time, I mean, his counterpart on the other side with BQB playing Widow as well, looking looking super clean as well. Um, Yaki as well, uh, moving on to the Echo at times in this matchup. Um, a good adaptation where I don't think... Uh, I don't think people necessarily would have given him the credit for his Echo play. I think he definitely held up and, and had a strong showing there. Um, now then, uh, map five was Lijiang Tower control, obviously, and that went to San Francisco two to one. And map six was Hollywood, which San Francisco took it all the way to three, and Florida only managing to get one. So overall, you know, a really exciting final matchup for the North American region. Um, you know, I think in large part this is where you see that that past experience, you see that team cohesion. You see that mental game that San Francisco really has where they band together and they they know that, you know, just because, okay, well, you, so we lost the second map, it doesn't matter. They take the third. And then, okay, they lose the fourth, but it doesn't matter. They take the fourth. Um, you know, each map is its own map. Um, each player just playing super well together. Um, Smurf and Choi looking really great on the tank lineup. Um, Violet and Moth honestly probably one of the best support lines in the game or in the league um so just super strong and san francisco as well you know where i think philadelphia struggles with this a little bit i think san francisco adapts a little better um i think that's in large part why we saw the philadelphia fusion lose to the florida mayhem um i think they were a little not even slower to adapt i think they necessarily maybe didn't want to adapt um, they didn't want to change their play. I think they tried to dictate a little bit too much. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of that's hubris. Maybe a little bit of that is, uh, you know, player skill. Maybe they just don't have the flexibility. Whereas I think uh, San Francisco does. And I think San Francisco will make those changes on the fly a little bit more than it seemed like Philadelphia was willing to. And obviously it paid off for San Francisco taking them to the final. And it didn't pay off for Philly, um, you know, not making it past the semis. So... But overall, um, I'm really enjoying Florida lately. Um, I'm a huge. I'm becoming more and more of a fan of them. Although, like I say, I've been, I've been a a fan since the beginning of the season, or at least excited to see what they could do. And uh, they're only, only increasing my uh, my like for them, my love for them right now. So, so overall, that was the North American uh, bracket of the May Melee tournament. So really exciting stuff there. Moving over to the Asia side. Now, I know this episode is already hitting an hour, so we're really going quite long here. So I'm not going to go into these matches as closely. Obviously, I didn't watch, like I said, I didn't really watch um, many, if any at all, except for that final match. So I'll, uh, I'll cover the scores and the breakdown, and then I'll just jump right to the final there. So our first matchup there was the Seoul Dynasty against the Hangzhou Spark. Seoul, a big question mark coming into this tournament, because although they've had really good games, they've also had really bad games. Um, so I think a lot of people were really uncertain which Seoul we would see. Starting off with a bang, taking it 3-0 against the Hangzhou Spark. So 
good on them and great for Seoul fans, obviously. Moving on from there, the Chengdu Hunters played off against the New York Excelsior. And this is one where I think, uh, you know, Chengdu has boomed a few teams where it seemed like they shouldn't before. So I think this one was a bit of a question mark. But overall, uh, New York coming out on top, taking it 3-2. to two. Moving on from there, the London Spitfire played off against the Shanghai Dragons. And honestly, I think this one probably surprised a lot of people because uh, Shanghai sitting, uh, you know, on top and uh, the rounds going right to right to five. So Li Zhang went to London 2-0. Hollywood went to Shanghai 3-2. And then London, sorry, I don't know if I said Li Zhang went to London, but Li Zhang went to London, Hollywood goes to Shanghai, and then Volskaya goes to London again. So at that point, London up 2-1. to one. London looking at match point right there. Um, but then it goes to Gibraltar, where Shanghai takes it 2-0, and finally Oasis, where Shanghai takes it 2-0. So Shanghai coming out on top, and, you know, once again, in uh, illustrating their mental game there, you know, not not even focusing or not even letting it get to them that they were down 2-1 at that point. So exciting stuff there for Shanghai. Moving on from there, Seoul Dynasty playing against the Gangzhou Charge, um, who of course had the bye right into the semifinals there. And Seoul Dynasty ultimately coming out on top 3-2. to two. So again, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into this match just because I don't follow Gangzhou at all, but great stuff for Seoul fans. Moving on from there, our semifinal, our first semifinal matchup was the uh, Shanghai Dragons against the New York Excelsior, and Shanghai just booming New York, uh, taking it 3-0. and oh meaning that our final matchup went, or I'm sorry, not went, was Seoul Dynasty versus the Shanghai Dragons. And this one, um, you know, as I mentioned, in the North American bracket, if you watch one game there, I would say watch the Philadelphia Fusion against the Florida Mayhem. And if you watch one match in the uh, Asia region, definitely watch this final. Um, I actually haven't even finished it yet. I think I have about half an hour left in the match. But... The Shanghai Dragons ultimately coming out on top, but it going to seven rounds, four to three for the Shanghai Dragons. And in fact, the Shanghai Dragons pulling off the reverse sweep, the seven match reverse sweep. So that's right. Map one, Li Zhang Tower goes to Seoul, two to one. Map two, Blizzard World goes to Seoul, three to two. Map three, Hanamura goes to Seoul, two to one. So at that point, as they go into Watchpoint Gibraltar, Seoul looking at match point, and Seoul flubbing it, Shanghai taking it 1-0. and oh. So really interesting stuff there because so far, Seoul looking very good. Um, now, I'm not too familiar with the, the players on these teams. I'm familiar with some of the players individually just because of uh, last season. However, I'm not too familiar with the roles they play and that kind of stuff or the rosters of the teams, really. So I'm not going to look too much at them. Um, but that said... Um, Seoul looking really good there, looking really good in the first three rounds. And then Watchpoint Gibraltar, they go down, you know, goes the round goes 1-0 and for Shanghai. And at that point, because of the way the tournament works, Seoul then has a map pick. So Seoul now gets to pick the next map, which of course is going to be a control map, which they've already won. So they already won Li Zhang Tower in the first round there, taking it 2-1. to one. So they then choose Busan, hoping again to take it, obviously, which would give them the win of the tournament overall. But 
unfortunately for them they can't get a point and shanghai takes it 2 and 0 now we're looking at 3 to 2 in favor of seoul again seoul still sitting at match point but that's where things kind of really got interesting because Seoul then had to pick a map. But at this point, this far into the map picks or into the map pool, their picks are limited to picks that they know Shanghai does well on. So they had to pick between Kings Row and Junkertown first. They picked Kings Row. Shanghai takes it three to two. Finally, we go to Junkertown where Shanghai winds up taking it five to three i'm actually really excited to finish that junker town map because looking at it knowing now knowing that it's five to three um you know that means both teams take it all the way go three and three and then shanghai has to run again and they manage to take it not only to the four they take it to the five they take it to that you know point b um before getting stopped and then seoul can't even get it to the first point so you know spoilers for that but really exciting stuff overall just super exciting match and really shows uh shanghai's you know wherewithal and their mental game um and their ability to come back from being down in uh in the dumps in a lot of ways so overall that was the may melee tournament really exciting stuff and honestly a really good tournament i think most fans most of the press most of the uh uh, I don't know, the, the casters and things like that were really impressed with it and really excited. I think it brought a lot of the excitement back to the Overwatch League that had been sort of missing because of the because of, you know, a lot of different things overall, uh, the, the seasonal format, obviously the COVID stuff that's all gone on, um, as well as the hero pools, you know, eliminating the hero pools from this tournament, I think really made it a lot more interesting too allowing teams to play what they wanted to play in a lot of ways or just to counter in the ways that they maybe wanted to counter or could counter a little more so anyways from there i digress that's what the weekend looked like and that was the owl recap for week 16. oh uh, we have to get this thing moving again so of course i realize this episode has gone long but that was the tournament and now I will move on to the segment of the show where we look at our upcoming week in the Overwatch League, a segment I like to call Owl Flying At Ya. But of course, when I check the schedule, there's nothing on the Overwatch League website. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I'm fairly certain they had actually announced um, which teams, or at least three of the matches that would be occurring in the next week. But at the same time, they also announced that there isn't actually going to be any Overwatch League for a couple weeks here. They're taking a bit of a break um, just to, you know, to allow things to settle, I imagine. I believe, yeah, June 13th is when the League returns. So let's see, the 24th, let's see, one week from there, one, two. So just about three full weeks before, uh, before Overwatch League returns. Which, you know, in a lot of ways is a shame, but at the same time, I think this actually indicates uh, a little bit something bigger. They actually, as well as announcing that they'd be taking a break until June 13th, they also announced that there will be a June tournament in some form or another. Um, so I think this actually gives us a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a clue at what's to come. Um, first things first, 
taking a break. Why are they taking a break? I think they want to let everyone have a little bit of a mental break because it has been stressful leading up to this. I think although this reinvigorated things in a lot of ways, they want to reflect back and sort of say, okay, what went well? What didn't go well? Um, what was the feedback overall from you know the fans, from the players, from the staff, uh, from the casters, from whatever, the podcasters, whatever groups you want to loop in there. But the most important part of it, I think, is the hero pool draw. Um, you'll notice at the end of these this tournament, they didn't draw the hero pool. They didn't actually pull anything to say, okay, when we return, or you know, even just in the next week of play, you're going to be locked out of these characters. Um, and maybe that's just because the Overwatch League won't be returning, so it's you know not important for this next week but it will be important for the week they come back. And if there's no cast before that, are they just going to release a short video on Twitter? Hey, maybe. But I think it does indicate that they might be looking at the hero pool and saying, is this something we really truly think benefits the league and the players? Um, it's funny, actually, because, uh, you know, I'm this is episode 17. I'm getting near 20 episodes and thought I might do a bit of a retrospective or something. I don't know. Um, so I actually went back and listened to my first episode. And I know in my first episode, I was excited for the Hero Pools. Um, purely from a fan standpoint, I was excited to see some more diversity in the characters, um, to see some more diversity in the teams and, and the meta and how things were played, and see the meta shift, you know, from week to week. That said, since then I've gained some insight into the other side of things, which, you know, if you're unaware, um, I'm not going to go into it too much because I'm not an expert, but uh, the big thing about the hero pools is they limit a team's ability to get really good at either a specific comp or specific comps or a specific lineup, um, and it, it limits the team's ability to practice, 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 right? You're essentially taking, uh, you know, a player or a team's craft and saying okay you're really good at this but some weeks you can't do that some weeks uh you know sure for just won't be a good dps player to have because hit scan players are banned or you know not necessarily all hit scan, hit scan players but you you get what i'm saying um so i have come around on the fact that i don't actually think hero pools are are beneficial um from a player standpoint which i'm not a player so why would i have thought of that before and from a coaching standpoint right but although i think they increase some diversity and we got to see some characters that we hadn't seen before um you know i really enjoy seeing ash i really enjoy seeing tracer i've enjoyed mccree i've enjoyed reaper um i've not enjoyed may because i hate may and everyone hates me but Regardless, I see the other side of it now, and I think that uh, it would benefit the league to take the hero pools out. Um, that said, you know, I think they they do need to do something about uh, balancing and making it so that other heroes are more viable. You know, we never would have seen Soldier uh, this season if it weren't for hero pools. I, In a lot of ways, I don't think we would have seen as much Tracer as we have seen uh, this season. So anyways, I digress. I think this break is a chance for the league to review things and see what they did right and, you know, plan for the future in a lot of ways. And maybe we won't see some of those changes right away. Maybe we won't see some of those changes until the end of the season. At this point, we have 10 weeks left in the season. Although, you know, obviously we've got a couple weeks off here, so there's that to consider as well. But, but I digress. Uh, no hero pools 
and no immediate schedule posted, although, like I said, I'm fairly certain they announced a few games. For some reason, Houston rings in my mind, so they might be playing when they return on uh, June 13th. But uh, but I digress. We're all looking forward to it, I'm sure, um, and it will be exciting when it returns. So that's all I've got for the show today. Um, I am, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. Please find me on Twitter. Please find me on Instagram and follow me there. Send me messages. Send me suggestions. Send me comments, concerns. Send me ideas for the next couple of weeks of episodes. Because, uh, you know, I'll stay up on the news, but I really am not too certain what I'm going to be covering uh, for a lot of my episodes. Might be a couple shorter episodes. We'll see. Um, but I digress. You can find this uh, podcast on all podcast services that I'm aware of. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Services, as well as Spotify. Just search for One Man Watchpoint. And we are, of course, an Overwatch podcast. Uh, go ahead and give us a like. Give us a whatever you want to do. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you.